Welcome back, Kofkin Bond listeners. Today, I'm joined by a guest that I love, Wally David, the Practice Development Manager at Count Financial. Wally's career has been nothing short of impressive. With an extensive knowledge and passion for the financial planning industry, he has constantly delivered outstanding results. In his role at Count Financial, Wally wears many hats. He's the driving force behind helping count firms establish and achieve their strategic goals, aligning them with their respective business plans. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wally also manages end-to-end firm relationships, providing unwavering support in delivery of key initiatives. He's been instrumental in expanding the advisor network, meticulously identifying firms that have the perfect fit for the thriving account community. And that's not all. Wally is a key figure in the development and execution of comprehensive professional development programs for the advice network. Closely collaborating with Count's valued partners, he's able to deliver innovative technology solutions as well as programs such as the Young Advisor program. So if you're willing to gain insight into our market, today's the podcast for you. So sit back and enjoy and listen to us as we talk about how the network looks, how the advice market looks, and a little bit about Wally's career. Wally, welcome to the Kofkin Bond Podcast. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's, uh, well, look, I've, I reckon you've been following us a little bit on the podcast and giving me some feedback, so it's actually finally good to have you on it. Yeah, no, you're doing doing a, a, a great job. You've had a some some excellent guests. You've done very well along the journey and a good variety of topics. So, yeah, no, well, well done. I thought I'd actually bring someone from financial services and not talk from my end around it, but, um, mate, the reason we sort of got you on today is I really wanted to talk about, I guess, our industry and, and the landscape of it. Um, you know, I had an amazing meeting this morning just talking about, I guess, also the future generation that's in advice. You know, the industry's gone through so many changes and it's had a bad reputation around certain areas of it, but I think when we look at the horizon and we look at the new entrants coming along, um, there's a really, like, there's a lot of positives coming out of the industry at the moment. Absolutely. Totally agree. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's, there's never been a, a better time to be in advice. Um, and I think it's, there's uh, blue skies ahead for sure. So, mate, oh, let's touch on your journey. So, you know, you actually were an advisor once upon a time. What was it like joining the industry, I guess, and, and what made you want to become a financial advisor? Um, oh, look, I always had a, an interest in, in money and finances. I was always a pretty good saver as a kid and um, I had my uh, Dolomite account or an account with the state bank and used to keep a good eye on that. And, yeah, I think when uh, did a degree, a banking and finance degree at uh, at, at uni and um, was always pretty set in my way that that's sort of where I wanted to end up. And I got my start at uh, the Commonwealth Bank, actually, way back when, about 20 years ago um, on their graduate program, which – which was great. Like back then, um, the way they used to do the graduate programs is you spent a bit of time in different areas of the bank. Like you spent time as a teller and spent time at the customer service desk with the lender to get a really good holistic view of the, of, of the bank and, and customers. So yeah, that was, that was my start and how I got in. So I guess they lead you down the advice part from that. You're starting off at teller. What was financial advice in the bank like 20 years ago? Uh, look, uh, fair to say that it was very different um, to to what it is today. I mean, obviously, the, the banks today have, have largely exited advice altogether. But back then, it was uh, it's probably fair to say it was more 
product-driven, should I say, yeah. like, um, you know, in the sense that someone would come in um, maybe with a term deposit renewal and um, that suggests they speak to a, a financial advisor and then they'd take them through some other options. So it was different. Um, it's evolved. It's certainly evolved. But I think that's true for the, um, you know, for the entire profession as well. Yeah, and look, we we've I guess we talk around technology and processes, and and that's sort of where you and I sort of have a lot of our conversations. But you were an advisor um, down on the peninsula for for over ten years. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, around that sort of eleven year mark. But you know, what was sort of the process that you like to go with clients back in the day? Because I know a lot what you were actually doing as your time as an advisor. I've sort of taken a lot of sort of lessons from you in that regard and, and built our processes out. So how did you sort of like to have that client journey? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I, I was lucky enough when I started out that I got to sit in with a few different advisors, a few older heads and more experienced heads than me. So you get to see a good cross-section of how different advisors go about it. But um, <clears throat> look, I think it even for me, it probably evolved over time, like with life experience and your own life experiences. Um, you know, as a sort of 20-something year old, um, trying to have a conversation with uh, a retiree or a 67 year old and find those common points of interest is probably more challenging um than perhaps as you as you as you get older and have your own kids and 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 your own life but um look i think for me i think always a, a big thing in i think it's true in life that you just gotta you know take a genuine interest in people um you know be curious ask some good questions and listen above above all i mean it's about Sometimes we overcomplicate it. I think, you know, it's still to this day, it's, it's about, you know, building that rapport, building trust. Like it's before you get to any financial strategies or technical strategies, that's, that's the sort of center of the, any, any client relationship, I think. So, and that hasn't changed. Yeah. I think if I look back at the times I've sat on client meetings and, you know, your longest, Standing clients are the ones that you almost start a meeting and there's nothing to do with advice in it. It's just, you know, how are the kids, you know, what have you been up to lately? Just, you know, building that rapport. And I think, you know, long-standing clients ring you with questions that don't even relate to finance. It relates around their life and, and decisions they're making. So you almost become a sounding board for clients. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I think once you become, you build that trust and that relationship, you, you do become the centre of the world in respect to any sort of decision, especially that are financially related, which is, for me, was always pretty cool to be, you know, to, to, to be in that, and I took that really seriously, that, that role of, I guess, trust and being that sounding board. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, I remember clients wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't do anything, um, you know, particularly that involves sort of sort of outlaying money and whatnot without checking in first. And yeah. um, you know, it's pretty pretty special in the in the sense that uh, you hold that that position in their in their world. Yeah. So there's a point where I guess you were you're still working in advice as we were talking about, but you did leave being an advisor, and and so like so it's not leaving the industry, but you know, there's a moment in time where you sort of got out of advice. What led to that moment? Um, it was it was just an opportunity to be honest. I got tapped on the shoulder, and um, uh, an old colleague sort of offered me uh, an opportunity to do this role that I'm, I'm doing now as a practice yeah. development manager. But um, I'd been running a practice down in Rye, down in the peninsula for for eleven odd years. It was a great spot, beautiful part of the world, very and uh, had great clients and staff, and uh, no no particular reason other than it was time for a fresh change, a new challenge, and hopefully to sort of apply my skills in a different way to hopefully help other advisors um you know in in their in their role 
Yeah, well, you certainly helped me, so I'm appreciative of that, mate. <laughs> um, it's good to hear, good to hear. Yeah. So, look, we've worked on young, and, and where I really wanted to drive this conversation, as we spoke about before we jumped on, um, young advisors and, and the landscape of the industry at the moment. Now, you, you've ran the inaugural, you know, Count Young Advisors program. What was your thinking around, you know, designing that program, um, and how have you seen that evolve over the sort of the years um, so far? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's one of those things. I think, um, so going back in time, like if you, if you look at a lot of the advisors in the industry, more, even the more experienced advisors these days, a lot of them had their, um, roots back to the days where they spent time at one of the banks or one of the large banks. And, and, and in those days, it was, you know, quite a, Good sort of development program and training program and so forth that assists. Obviously, there's a, a bit more money and funding behind that to allow them to do that. And obviously, since the banks have, have largely exited sort of advice, there is a bit of a void of, of I guess, develop, that that sort of development. And we're not talking the technical stuff that you can get out of a, you know, um, you can get out of a textbook or a, or, a, or a website article, that type of thing. It's more the the client skills, you know, how to have a good conversation with, with clients, build trust, how to uh, ask those open questions and, um, and have those difficult conversations as well where you need to be. So that's, that's where it's sort of the idea really came from that, um, there wasn't really that, uh, you know, that, 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 that ability or that, I guess, forum now so much for a younger advisor to, um, get ac- access to and count being of the size and scale that we are, I thought we, there was an opportunity there to set something up. So that was the concept behind it. And as I said, really it was to work on not so much about technical super contribution strategies and that sort of thing because most advisors are pretty um, are fine with that side. It's more like uh, in terms of the practical side of uh, being an advisor. So... Yeah, how's the feedback been? Like um, interacting with younger advisors, you know, I, I think there is a difference. There is a difference in the way that advice is delivered now. Um, you know, I've, I've only been in the industry sort of eight years, but you know, you can already see that work. We were talking about building rapport with clients. So I feel like a younger generation of advisors are really interested in the goals that people are setting and, and the lifestyle that they're trying to create. Um, it, it's always about wealth creation. You know, we're here to help someone along that journey. But, you know, I think the, the younger generation are certainly really interested in, in, in the client journey, you know, what their goals are and, and how that looks in their future. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if you think particularly if you're trying to engage the sort of younger generations, you know, young accumulators, young families, people with kids and so forth, who are time poor, don't have, um, you know, I think for them what they're looking for is um, a a plan and something that can give them that accountability but also see how they are tracking to some of their big goals in life as well. And that's what's going to get them excited about coming to see you, you know, as an, you know, to to, to get advice, not so much... um, Whereas, you know, it's probably fair to say back in time, you know, financial advice was largely um, uh, something, particularly retirement, and when you got to close to retirement, um, that, you know, that was the trigger point to come see an advisor to look at your super and how you're going to fund the retirement. Whereas now it, 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 it's more than that and it's more broader than that. And um uh, hence the discussion around sort of goals and life goals has, has, has sort of um, been gaining more and more momentum. 
Yeah. We, I guess with that younger generation, sort of harp on them as well, though, and, and sort of the next part of the conversation I wanted to talk around was, you know, digital tools that we now have as at our disposal to interact with our clients. Um, and we talk a lot about different ways to, to make efficiencies in the way that we're delivering to make advice affordable. Um, if we look at all the statistics out at the moment and a lot of the articles written, they're, they're trying to fix the industry because it's become so unaffordable for most Australians. And I think it's driving people away from seeing an advisor. So, you know, there has to be ways that we either, uh, we create efficiencies so that we can deliver more advice to people. How have you sort of seen the, the landscape lately around sort of the digital tools? Oh, look, there's, there's a lot more tools and, 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 and solutions available probably than there once was. But, oh, look, I, th- I think we've still got some way to go. It's, it's yeah. fair to say. If you think of client experience and client experience in a lot of other services that you, you would access, um, you know, you think of, you think about booking a, uh, making a reservation at a, at a restaurant nowadays, um, and how seamless that can be with your online booking sort of engine and you can, um, book, get confirmation, uh, and it's pretty similar, similar now with whether it's, uh, Jeep, if you've seen a GP or another specialist, it's quite seamless. Um, I think of now even a, when you get a parcel delivered and you got your app and you can see exactly where the parcel, where it's, where it's, you can track it, where it's at and then get conf, you know, uh, confirmations along the way. Like, the client experience is, 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 in those sort of examples is, is, is quite good and I think from our end, you know, it's probably fair to say that it can still be um, clunky, if, 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 if to use an expression, I guess, in the sense that we do require a lot of information, um, and 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 because of that, um, you know, there's there's multiple steps in in the journey, and um, yeah, I think that's still a, a, a point of frustration for for a lot of advisors. It would be good to be able to make that more more seamless. Um, but yeah, we've made some progress, but we've still got a little way to go. That's why I'd sort of where yeah, I see. I look at it like when I'm looking at digital tools, I think we're in such a complicated industry. Um, you know, there's bits of data. We, we talk about the efficient use of data. There's so many different data points that we need to be looking at as an advice firm. And I think that's what creates some of these, you know, clunkiness, um, within the systems is, you know, we are gathering a lot of bit, different bits of information from sort of all different parts of life um, and then to bring that together to model out to to show a client their future and what it can look like is you know that's the hard part and, and you're right it's that quick collection of data um, working into strategies and, and making key decisions for clients is important um, things can change you know we know what markets are like um, and, and things can change in people's lives pretty quickly like we talk about insurance and protecting families you know there, there can be a moment in life that you know flips up families you know dynamic upside down um so we need to be prepared for all those different things as well no it's a good point and i think as you said there's a lot of data points a lot of information we do need to collect and i think you know in a, in an ideal world you want to be doing that behind the scenes as much as you can the time you have with the client in front of the client you want to be having good conversations about the things that are important to them their priorities their concerns what they want to do with it you know that's the value and that's where they'll see their value and uh, you know, um, as I said, in an ideal world, a lot of the, the, the boring stuff as far as getting the detail, um, we'd sort of be able to do more, um, when, when they're not there, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, as I said, we're not quite there. That, that would be in a, in a perfect world, but still a little way to go. I think there's enough, uh, there's enough 
noise, I guess, at the moment around sort of some of these changes. And, and you know, I guess what's your role that you play with the FAAA? Uh, I know there's two peak bodies have joined, but this is some of the great work that they're doing in, in regards to helping the industry go through those changes. Yeah, well, one of the things, so the FAAA, um, so that, that that was the sort of the merged association between the um, the old sort of FPA and AFA, to use a few acronyms, but essentially it's to create one sort of unified, unified voice of advisors across the um, across the profession. But my role, I mean, my role is a smaller role. I'm a I'm, I'm a chap, chapter chair down in, uh, in 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 Melbourne, and and really there it's about engaging advisors, bring them together to sort of connect, share ideas, and 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 um, uh, and network. But um, more broadly, sort of the F. AAA um, is to provide that one voice, I guess, to, to government around lobbying efforts, around what policies, things that need to change or need, um, I guess, need 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 action. So, um, you know, if you, if you think of the financial advisor landscape, you know, it was only a few years ago that we, you know, um, we had sort of over 26 odd thousand advisors. And today we see, I think, as of uh, 2022, it was sort of under 17,000. So we've had about, well, you do the numbers. What's that? That's about uh, eight or nine thousand uh, advisors sort of leave the profession in that period of time, and 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 and, and that's a that's a challenge. And um, you know, there's, it just shows there is work to do to um, uh, a um, and we'll make it e- make it easier, I guess, if you like, to, to 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 provide advice and see more clients and make it more accessible. So, I think yeah, if if AAA is part of that, I think we've all got a part to play. Yeah, in, in no, I agree. Look, look, we've seen a lot of people leave the industry, um, and we've seen some really hard changes, but. You know, from, from Kofka and Bond's perspective, we've seen it as a real positive change to the industry. Um, you know, I started this podcast by talking about the, the younger generation, the young entrants, um, coming in, but we're seeing a higher level of advisor, um, come across our desk now. We're seeing them, they've done the study. They're, they're working in programs that you've created. Um, they're working under this banner and network. So the training that they're getting, you know, you, you had a really good, um, experience with the, you know, financial planning with the Commonwealth Bank and, and going to those different departments. And I think that's something we're trying to drive internally here as well is giving them exposure and experience to different areas of the business so that when they make the decision the path that they want to follow um that they're well equipped to do that absolutely and without you know pumping up your tires too much or cough combined for that matter i think you guys do it as well as anyone in terms of if i look at the people within your business and the culture sort of you create um there's there, there is that ability to uh, get exposure to different elements and different areas of the business, and um, you know you've had yourself a number of young people and advisors that have come from supports roles and worked their way through to advisors. So you know proof in the pudding in that respect. So what yeah. do what do you see? I guess when we're talking about the future of advice, and there's you know blue skies ahead. What's your sort of view for the future? Um, you know, your personal view, not not a company towing line or anything like that. But you know, what's the positives that you see that we're driving towards over the years to come? Well, I think so. The the changes, the big reforms that were made um, and introduced back in 2019 were ba- to move ourselves from, I guess, an industry to a profession, and 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 a profession not unlike uh, a lot of other um, well-respected professions in that now to, to become an advisor in, in, in this country, you need to hold a, 
a degree. Um, you've got to undertake a professional year, so a full 12 months of supervised learning and training, or equivalent of sort of 1,600 hours, and you've got to pass the exam um, to, to become an entrant. And then you've got your ongoing learning um, and continuous learning that you're required. So the standard's been lifted, and I think the, the whole idea or intent behind that is to was, was to, I guess, you know, improve trust um, in, truth, in, in the profession uh, so that clients felt that trust and, and, and would be more um, feel more comfortable seeing an advisor, I guess, in a, in a nutshell. So I think that was a good platform, but it was, you know, uh, there's some hard yards along there. And obviously for the, um, the reason why we had so many um, advisors leave is that it, it, it did mean that um, not everyone could go along on that journey and you know for some it was who were perhaps closer to the end it was um uh you know probably a a, a hurdle sort of too far i guess to to, to yeah. overcome but um i think now as i said that that trust is there i think we've the standards been lifted there's no doubt there's there's a demand out there for good quality advice there's absolutely no demand uh, no no question about that um it's just you know people uh, just haven't been sure or been unsure where, where to turn, and I think um, that's changing. So we've got the platform there. I think we've got the education. We've got hopefully got the respect, and um, uh, I think the, the future is bright in, in that respect. What I see with young advisors and my work with young advisors is, is, is it gives me a lot of um, just a lot of confidence in, in the future ahead. So, so that that's um, yeah, that's my view. Yeah, look, and I'll probably share that view as well. As I was saying, I think it's been a positive. And look, it's unfortunate. There is some good advisors that, that left the industry because it was that hurdle too far. And then going back to study at the age of 65 is, is daunting for some, it you is. know, if you're at that age. So we've sort of seen quite a shift and, and, you know, to be viewed as, as a profession now and have an industry standard, um, you know, have that certification to get to that level, I think's been a really good thing. And as I said, when we're, when we're looking at the new young entrants coming is, it's people that want to be an advisor, like they 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 know that they've actually got to go above and beyond the study that they've already done. So the people that you're getting coming into the industry are people that are passionate about it, that they're keen they're keen to be an advisor, they're keen to help people within their own financial journey. So you know that's the real shift that I'm seeing is you know it's not just because you know you could get a job selling street surveys and you know trying to get people into superannuation it's it's a proper level of trust and it's a you know and that's where the change has been in my view yeah absolutely i think it's um yeah well said and you know i think the other interesting thing i think with our profession back in time is that we've we've had a lot of advisors that have been career changers as well come from other areas you know come from um, very different disciplines from, you know, from teaching, from, um, you know, from uh, running other sort of small businesses and things like that. It's always been that, um, and, and, and some have made the transition very well. So I, probably my, my only thing is I hope that that's something that doesn't change as well because it's, um, because at the centre of being an advisor is being is good people skills and being able to build relationships and being able to educate. So I think there's other um, you know, there's lots of other professions, I guess, that, that, that have those skills. And, um, yeah, I, I, hopefully it's still accessible in that respect as well because, um, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a, a shame if it, was, if it, was, if, if it wasn't.
Yeah, well, I guess we've we've had a lot of, uh, I guess, success at getting people from outside the industry to join. Um, But you talked about, I guess, when you were young, having that passion for finance. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that are similar. They, you know, um, either watch their parents work, you know, hard for their money and and they they want to be able to emulate their parents in that regard and they want to be able to see their wealth grow. And I think there's always a passion for for finance out there. Um, And, you know, I I speak to some of my mates who have an absolute passion. They're working in a trade. Um, You know, it's further think from finance but you know you can see the passion and the the research that they do i think you know a lot of advisors are people that are are keeping on top of things that are changing because it's just a pure passion of theirs as well and you know we all look for a job that we're you know that we enjoy going to every day and you know we we both love our sport and footy but i think finance is that for, for a lot of people as well yeah no absolutely absolutely i think the you know the the thing is today is that like there's never been more information out there. Like we're in the information overload sort of world in sort of everything you do. So uh, I think there's you know, never been more value in someone to be able to decipher that and to actually work out um, what options are relevant to you and present them in a way that you can understand and grasp and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, reality is if you really wanted to work out um, what to do with your money and how, you know, if you had the desire and energy, you could probably spend enough time uh, online and search and, and, and find or jump on chat, chat GPT and the like. But ultimately, we know that's not the um, solution because a lot of a lot of the a lot of a lot about the advisor relationship is about um, not only the sort of the, the trust and the expertise, but also the accountability piece. Yeah. You know, so to be able to actually keep you accountable do the check-in, actually just show you how you're tracking and where you're at and what adjustments you need to make along the journey. For me, that's the real value of of advice. Um, yeah, so. I, I, I agree. And, you know, I've, I'm someone in my life that I just, I just love to get a professional to do it because it takes that, you know, ease of mind away. Like, you know, you, you're confident in trusting them because they're going to get the job done. You, you're right. You can go and study, but that's just extra. No one's got time to continue to study and extra time to find out the right. And then if you make a mistake, you've got no one to lean on to see why you made that mistake as well. So where do the teachings come from? Yeah, no, exactly right. Exactly right. So <laughs> that's, and, and it often, I guess that's the other thing. It's saving people from, from themselves in, in some ways, um, which, which we all need. I mean, you know, it's not like, you, you know, you can use the, um, you know, personal trainer sort of analogy and, and, you know, we all know what we should be eating or what we, we that we should be exercising and so forth. It doesn't mean it necessarily, uh, always, always occurs or, or occurs when it should be. And having that, that coach or that guide or that advisor to keep you on track and accountable is, uh, is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, mate, you have, uh, three young, beautiful girls and I've just sort of had a son myself recently. What's something, uh, I guess, how will you advise them around money in the future? You know, what's some things that you've thought about and, and do you have conversations already around money? It's a, you know what, it's a really, really good question because, you know, when I grew up, we didn't have much money, you know, we were very much a sort of working class sort of back, background. And so, you know, thing, money was scarce, you know, whereas nowadays, you know, we, 
we live in an age of abundance, and I'm not, I'm not saying that because we're, you know, we're well off, we're incredibly well off, but just in general, I mean, things are accessible as we know, your money, in terms of what you can access and buy with your money, and, and so it is a challenge to actually, um, I guess, instill the value of money in, in, in kids. So one of the simple things, and I haven't got it nailed, I haven't got all the answers yet, but one of the simple things I try and do with, with the, my girls is that like when we're gonna, when they're gonna buy something, um, let's take a really, a, a simple example. So lunch order day, right? Yeah. Um, so on Fridays, they get to have a lunch order for school. And what I try and do is, is set a limit. And even if it's a notional limit that, you know, you've got $8, let's call it, to spend in this lunch order. Now, they've actually got to make a choice of what they can and can't have, and they probably can't have the ice cream on top of the, you know, the, 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 the pie and the, and the chip. So it forces them to make a choice. So I think wherever possible, if we're in a shop or they're going to buy something, I always just try and use, even if it's for no other reason, but just imposing a limit so they understand that they need to make a choice. Yeah. Um, I've found that sort of useful um, in that, sense, especially at their age, because they're, you know, still only sort of 10, and my eldest is sort of 10 and 10 and 7. So that's just a small thing. Um, and as I said, it just gets gets them used to the idea that money is is scarce Yeah. Um, and that, you need to. Sometimes you need to make a choice between one thing and another. So, yeah, I um I was at a, a sort of round table the other day, and it was a question that got asked, and I found it a bit fascinating. As I said, of sort of you know my first child at the moment, and it's you know how do you instill money lessons and in, in that growth, and you know some some dads at the group it was a, it's a dads round table um, for Father's Day, and some of them had some really great ideas around budgeting and and teaching teaching kids from such a young age about you know if you're wanting to buy categorizing almost toys that you know of course they were going to buy their kid toys as they went along but if there was something really big that they wanted it was like almost helping them save up for that and you know then you go to Coles and do they really want to buy that small ticky tacky toy because that's going to cost them getting to the big prize at the end of the day so you know some of them had some great ideas and some great outcomes with their kids around sort of different lessons but you know everyone's sort of got a different lens on it and it's it's fascinating because you know, we either rebel or follow our parents um, in the way that they were with money, and, and that's a conversation that we have with clients is, you know, what are the lessons that they're trying to instill in their kids and would they are they following those same lessons themselves? <laughs> that's a good, it's a good point. And it is the, the world's changed a bit as well. I mean, I think, um, you know, even kids, you know, doing like – when I was a kid, I, I started a paper round when I was, I think it was 10 and a half. So I was doing a paper round before school in the morning six days a week, and I think I had – Twenty dollars a week um, for six days a week. So you do the math; it's not much per day. So for me, that 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 was my that that taught me the value of money because um, and I wasn't going to blow it on on, on rubbish when I was uh, you know uh, working that hard for it. But you know these days we don't you know well you don't have those sorts of jobs. I mean you you know we still got McDonald's and things like that. And I, I I'm a I'm a believer. I guess once they get to that stage and age that they can work, I'm a big believer. Um, in them doing doing that to earn, I guess that that extra money that if they want those discretionary items or things they want to buy themselves that they've actually earned it themselves. So that would be my other thing. When it when they're at the age that they can, um, I'd love them to do uh, some sort of 
parts of yeah. it. And I think, I think I'm like that. I think you learn a lot of valuable lessons by the time you sort of, you know, if you're working at a young age, you're getting lessons already. Um, so when you are looking for full-time employment, or it helps even at university and study as well, it gives you some structure and, and some lessons that, you know, you, you might make mistakes at work where you get feedback on or you might be introduced to different people and you find a sort of pathway into what you love. I, I used to have a cafe job that I actually loved. Um, and But, you know, I remember not wanting, I was working Sundays and I'd be not wanting to get there, but you've just got to get up, go, and, you know, if you want to earn that money and, and you can't let an employer down. You know, I felt felt easier leaving school, leaving school, wagging it out of school than I did, uh, you know, not rocking up to work. It's a great, like, cafe job, like, any of those hospitality jobs, I think, are sort of the best, one of the, some of the best jobs you can do, particularly early on, because I think in the age of the tech world and the internet, now, now with everything so accessible and you've got chat GPT and the like, like, technical information is very, uh, you know, uh, is very accessible and easy to get. The part that you can't, um, you can't replicate or whatnot is the, the, communication skills so to be able to hold a conversation with and that's one i think the biggest challenge with our kids you know with the fact that they are using you know your messengers and communicating more now via um apps and 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 the like that the part that's been lost is the the human to human sort of um communication piece so that's why i love you know that the cafe job or the hospital is is just gold because it's going to get him in front of people and talking to people and having those conversations and f- even for that reason alone i you know i think it's it, it, it would be great for them to do i love it well mate i uh i really appreciate you joining me today it's, it's been one that i've wanted to book in for a while as i said you and i do a lot of work together and and you know we, we have these conversations internally of you know how we're sort of viewing the industry and, and what changes can happen so mate to have you today on the podcast i really appreciate it my absolute pleasure and uh keep up the uh keep up the great work with with the podcast thanks wally all right Thanks. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Bond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the hosts of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.